Hello, hello. I'm your host for today, Dr. Carrie Jones, and I'm talking all about omega-3 oils with expert Karina Belize. She has spent years in the natural products industry focusing pretty much entirely on omega-3s from fish oil and now omega-3s from algae. There is a lot of controversy around the different types of fats and oils. So of course, I asked her all the questions, including the difference between trans fats, seed oils, and omega-3s, rancidity in oils, what EPA and DHA actually do in the body, proper dosing, and of course, what do those fish burps mean when you take fish oil, and is there a supplement that truly doesn't have that side effect? Before we get started though, I wanna talk to you about something that comes up pretty often on this podcast, and that of course, are supplements. There is a lot of confusion around supplements, and you only wanna take the best quality that uses top tier certified manufacturers, and most importantly, do third-party independent testing to make sure what's on the label is in the capsule. That's why I've teamed up with New Ethics Formulations as their chief medical officer. The team already had a strong history in the supplement world, but started the company to really focus on bettering your health and helping to enhance your physique or performance goals. I'm excited to help them continue to focus on the endocrine system and hormones as it relates to glucose, thyroid, estrogen, and even your gut microbiome. Right now, you can get 20% off one order using code DRJONES20 at newethics.com. That's drjones20 at newethics.com today. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Root Cause Medicine, Karina. I am so excited to have you on today because omega-3s is a really hot topic. Everybody has questions about good fats and bad fats. Where should they get their omega-3 source from? What if they don't eat fish? And I'm literally going to spend the next 45 minutes picking your brain on all of these things. Welcome to the show. It's so good to be here. Thank you so much. First, actually, before we get started, I know your background, but for the people who don't know, give us a little intro as how did you even get into the realm of omegas in the first place? I'd like to just share that I was a hippie kid starting out in life and I was pretty closely connected to food and nutrition throughout my life. But when I went to college, I was like, what do I want to be when I grow up? And I studied archaeology and anthropology never really thinking or dreaming that I would end up as a sales and marketing executive in the natural products industry. But when I first came into this space back in 1999, I really fell in love with the industry because people were so cause-driven. They're really trying to help people live a better and more healthy life. And I felt it was almost like Disneyland for adults, this industry of nutrition. I first started helping companies formulate products using herbs and extracts and things like that, and then really confronted omega-3s and all the dramatic research behind them. Initially, I was trying to get the company Nordic Naturals to formulate some products using ingredients I sold. I got crickets. They just wanted to stay focused on omegas. But eventually, I ended up joining them, and I worked over the course of a decade in the omega-3 fish oil space to help people understand really how these particular omegas, EPA and DHA, could dramatically improve their health and so much more so than plant sources. 
what we didn't really ever talk about was the fact that fish got all of their omega-3s, EPA, and DHA from the algae they consumed. And I've spent the better part of the last, oh, about six, seven years, specifically and only in the algae space, helping people understand that they can get this powerful nutrition from plants of the sea and not so much from land because flax seeds don't contain any EPA and DHA, neither do chia or walnuts. All the research is essentially on these two primary omega-3s that you can get from algae or fish. This is a really good topic because I get a lot of questions, and I'm sure you do too, being exclusively in this space. I'm in the field of women's health, hormones, HRT. In fact, I was just asked earlier, Carrie, I'm trying to help somebody ovulate, make better progesterone. What oils, what fats, what's helpful? What's the backbone? What really can these things play a role? And their question was, they keep seeing all these oils on the market. They can do flaxseed oil. They can do different walnut oil. You can cook with or you can take internally as a therapeutic multiple forms of oil. And then, of course, the topic around rancidity or potency or testing, especially when you get into the fish realm, comes up. It's really confusing, I think, in all the spaces. And there's a lot of misinformation out there that I see over and over. But I'm not an expert to raise my hand and say, I think that's misinformation. That's why you're on today. (laughs) The problem with omega-3s and why they're so hard to get enough of them in your diet in the first place is that they are less stable. Because they're less stable, you can't cook with them. If you try to cook with a walnut oil, it's going to oxidize very rapidly. It has a low flash point. And because it has a low flash point, that rancid oil is now going to have mutated into a trans fat. Trans fats aren't generally very healthy for you. You need to think about that as you're going through the process of cooking even with oils. Cook with oils that are going to be appropriate for the temperature at which you're cooking, which means nothing in the omega-3 space, not flax oils, not walnut oil, not chia seed oil if they even make one, and not even algae oil. They're fine for salad dressings all day long, but not so much on the grill. What this also means is that companies have actually manufactured their corn oils and their other seed oils to remove omega-3s because they're not as shelf-stable. Cooking with cooking oils like corn oil or safflower oil is going to be a great way to get plenty of omega-6s in your system, but no omega-3s at all. That's where our balance falls out of whack. Now, we know that we evolved with roughly a one-to-one ratio of omega-3 to omega-6, but it really isn't even a question of getting that balance. It's more a question of really needing to improve your omega-3 index. One of the things that I'm really proud of is that with Orlo Nutrition, which is the brand that I've worked to develop and create, that we're actually launching a Tested by You program, which enables people to verify their test results today. Where are you at baseline? Let's say you're not supplementing yet, or even if you are, where are you right now? What is your level of omega-3 that's in your tissues? And that can be determined by a simple blood spot test. It's easy to take at home. You mail it in, you get results in five days. And what this shows you is how much omega-3 is in your tissues. Now, most Americans test around 4%. If you're eating fish two to three times a week, you're probably going to be better. Most people don't eat fish two to three times a week. And when they do, it's usually farmed, which also doesn't have the same level of omega-3s in it. Why? Because it's harder (laughs) to get those levels. They're not out swimming in the world and eating algae. That's something that is a challenge you need to get past. But we want to see people's tissue levels get to 8% or better 
And Omega Quant, as well as many research studies from Harvard and on down the line, have shown that when you get to 8 to 12% omega-3s in your tissues, all-cause mortality drops. Wow. Getting there is going to be challenging without supplementation in today's world, especially if you're eating a plant-based diet. Those that are plant-based, even if they're consuming a lot of plant-sourced omega-3s, and that's the walnuts, the chia seeds, the flax seeds, et cetera, if they're eating a lot of those things, they're still testing out around 3.5% omega-3, even lower than people who consume a standard American diet. I want to go back before we get into that part. You mentioned the trans fats earlier, and I want to briefly touch on that. What is a trans fat? We keep seeing all over social media, you should avoid trans fat. They're a big problem with our health. And then I would like to, if you could, get into the different types of fats that are out there, and then we'll really focus in on the omega-3s because I think this is going to be mind-blowing for people who are like, oh my gosh, I eat a lot of walnuts. I thought that had me covered or I heard it was a good fat, not realizing there is a difference and a difference in how your body makes or processes them. Trans fats are trans fatty acids. And essentially what happens when you superheat an oil, it corrupts the form. It basically gets like a kink in its form. But you're essentially taking a fat that would be liquid at room temperature and you're fully saturating it, you're hydrogenating it with hydrogen molecules, essentially. And what happens is that fat then changes its form and it becomes one chemical molecule different than plastic. And you can even just test this in your own, I want to call it your garage or even out on your deck where if you don't have a garage, it doesn't matter. Just think hot and exposed insects. Take a tub of margarine and put it out versus a stick of butter. The flies are not going to go to the margarine. They're going to go to the butter. This is something that was partially or fully hydrogenated versus something that's a natural saturated fat. Trans fats don't really exist in plethora in nature. They tend to be man-altered either through intense temperature or also by exposing the fat to chemical compounds that are similar to things you'd use to unclog your drains <laughs> with Drano. To It's just yucky. We really don't need to be making foods like this in a laboratory. The reason that you had things like Crisco in the first place were, again, around shelf stability, and it was the savior for people. I could go ahead and just have this tub of Crisco in the pantry, and I can cook all winter long or all summer long without even worrying about keeping my butter fresh. That was really it. It was all about shelf stability and having foods that would last and last without going bad. If it lasts and lasts without going bad, it's not really food. And that should be another thing that we think about. Food is organic matter. Organic matter does decay. And if you're manipulating something to have a shelf life of years and years, you probably shouldn't be consuming it. Sometimes it feels like decades and decades. If anyone's ever walked into their grandparents or great-grandparents' house who happens to have Crisco, there's a chance it's been there a really long time and still, quote unquote, looks just fine. And it also could be, it could have gone bad. I'd like to talk for a moment about rancidity because there's some simple tests that people can do at home with the oils that they do use. Myself, I'm guilty of this. I have a bottle of corn oil that I'll use for baking or whatever, but I use it so seldomly that it's in my cupboard for a very long time. Let's say you're familiar with cooking. You cook and after a while your cabinets, especially if you cook with a lot of oil, get sticky and they get this film on them. Those are oxidized lipids. That's what that is. It's oxidized 
fat like coating, it's grease on your cupboards. It gets sticky as it gets rancid. If you have oil in your cupboard that you use a bit here and there, one of the ways you can check it is organoleptically. You can open it and smell it. It shouldn't have an off smell, but if it does have an off smell, you'll detect it. But let's say you don't have a great sense of smell or you don't trust it. You just think maybe that's what it always smells like. Just take a little bit of that oil and just run it through your fingers and then separate your fingers. And if it's sticky, if it is almost as if you put glue on your fingers, then it's rancid. You should throw it out. Don't consume it. That is the easiest test. That's wonderful to know. It's the easiest test. It should feel really fluid. If it doesn't feel very fluid and run easily between your fingers, it feels like it's sticking, then toss it. After this interview, I'm going to go test there. I have a few oils down there that have probably been there a while that I thought, I wonder if you're still good. (laughs) Yeah, I have a walnut oil that's like that. And I just now use it to recondition my cutting boards. There you go. (laughs) Smart to repurpose that. It's fine to use for that and not fine to consume. Not fine to consume. Trans fats. What about just in general, the different types of oils we have out there? You have partially or fully hydrogenated oils. These tend to be used and fully hydrogenated is different than partially hydrogenated. Partially hydrogenated is essentially trans fats, but fully hydrogenated oils are still in existence in our food supply. And they're often used in things like peanut butter because it helps it to stay emulsified so that the oil separation doesn't happen. It's not the healthiest fat to consume, generally speaking. I just say avoid it. If you need your peanut butter to be smooth, then you can do what I do and just get the stuff that is standard peanut butter, the oil that separates, unsweetened. Add a little honey to it and stir it up. First of all, it'll taste really good. I love it. It comes like a treat. It doesn't have to have that much, but the honey, the sugar itself actually helps it to stay homogenous. If you like a little bit of honey with your peanut butter, which I do, I like a little bit of honey with my peanut butter. I don't put a ton in, but just a little bit and stir it up. It'll stay like that smooth consistency for a lot longer. And I'm not consuming these fully hydrogenated oils. I'm also not consuming palm kernel oil because palm kernel oil is generally what's used. And palm kernel oil is destructive of orangutan habitats. I don't like that. I try to stay away from palm kernel oil. It's become popular as that emulsifier in the peanut oils or peanut butters because it's inexpensive. It's inexpensive because it destroys habitats. Yeah, we're not doing that. Let's just stay away from it, yeah. And the other fats are really saturated fats, omega-3s and omega-6s. Now, we consume a lot more omega-6s than we do omega-3s because they're so prevalent in seed oils. Getting that balance right might be important for total health management, but really we just want to increase those omega-3s. And that's what all the science proves out. There's even some research, if you look at the medical publications that state that there's even some heart health benefits to consuming omega-6s. You get stuck six in one hand, half dozen in the other. We really just know that all the research shows getting enough omega-3s is really critical. Now, when you consume more omega-3s, you tend to consume less of other fats. And there's some reasons behind that too. Omega-3s actually improve your satiety, whereas omega-6s can make you feel more hungry. And there's probably some reason that we have an overweight society here in the States. If you want to reduce the likelihood that you're going to eat more than you need, Reducing your omega-6s can support that. Increasing your omega-3s can support that. Also, think about eating less packaged foods in general because they tend to be formulated with the perfect balance of salt, sugar, and fat to make them almost addictive. And that's not ideal for you. 
Saturated fats are the fats that are solid at room temperature. You can find some saturated fats or even in the vegetables that you consume. You'll have things like olive oil, for example, is mostly just omega-9. That's oleic acid. It's a neutral fat. It doesn't create inflammation. It's not anti-inflammatory, but it's health-promoting. Omega-9s are, are really healthy for your skin. They're healthy for your total body system. And generally, they don't really impact things like hunger other than having a satiety effect because it's fat and it helps your body function. There's some evidence that it actually supports digestion as well as omega-3s do. Consuming a healthy level of olive oil or even avocado oil is always a healthy treat, so to speak. Avocados themselves also have some saturated fat and other fatty acids in them. That's one of the plant sources of saturated fat. And you'll see the same thing with things like coconut oil, which mostly has medium-chain triglycerides. And there's some evidence that actually can help support a healthy metabolism as well. But you can consume coconut oil, all saturated fat. And some people don't respond well to having too much saturated fat. I think that's the nuts and bolts. Omega-3s, generally speaking, reduce your inflammation levels in your body because they stimulate these things called resolvins, which resolve inflammation. They also stimulate protectants, which protect against DNA damage. That's one of the reasons we think that omega-3s are so supportive of total body health. They're also included in half the fat in your brain and eyes. Getting enough of them is really critical. Omega-6s, on the other hand, stimulate pro-inflammatory prostaglandins, leukotrienes, and cytokines. We need a balance of inflammation and anti-inflammation in our systems in order to be healthy. You think about it like you stub a toe. You need to heal from that inflammatory event, and you want the inflammation to resolve once healed. That's where both of these things have a role. Inflammation sends the white blood cells and all the things that help you heal to where they need to go, and then the omega-3s help to resolve post-inflammatory event. And give examples for people. What is an omega-6 oil? What are we looking at? Linoleic acid. You're basically looking at corn oil. You're looking at safflower oil. You're looking at soybean oil, palm kernel oil, peanut oil is omega-6. Basically, all of the, and I know they get a bad name, a bad rap, seed oils. The only reason I really think they get a bad rap is just that they're present in everything <laughs> that we consume. And you get far more of them than your body actually needs. That means that you're going to be more prone to stimulating those inflammatory pathways. And if you don't have enough omega-3s present, then your body can't return to its balance and homeostasis as quickly or as it's needed. The omega-3 side of the equation, as we already mentioned, you're talking about things like chia seeds, walnuts, flaxseed oil. Those are all high in omega-3s but they're also not super prevalent in our food system outside of if you're consuming directly chia or directly flax or directly walnuts. And then let's take that and really drill down into EPA and DHA. When people are looking at an omega supplement, let's say they're listening to this, they've heard it's important, what are they and what do they do in the body? EPA is eicosapentaenoic acid. It's a 18 carbon long Omega-3. And omega-3 means the double bonds start at the third molecule. That's why it gets three as a number. Omega-6s have that double bond start at the sixth molecule. Other than that, they look really similar. But EPA in particular is associated with all sorts of health benefits as it relates to cardiovascular health and also even mood. 
support of a healthy mood. Part of that, scientists believe, is because it helps to handle and tackle the out-of-control inflammation in the body. And when we talk about out-of-control inflammation, you're talking about also things like inflammation in your brain. Dr. David Perlmutter has spoken a lot on that particular issue. He wrote a book called The Grain Brain because ultimately we consume so many grains that we're consuming too many carbohydrates and things that stimulate the inflammation in our body, which he actually connects more to things like the grains that we're consuming than necessarily seed oils. And then what about DHA? DHA is docosahexaenoic acid, and it is in the brain and eyes. It's a 22 carbon long. EPA is 20. I don't know why I said 18 earlier, but 22 carbons long. It's a slightly larger molecule, but it makes up half of the fat in your brain and eyes. It's also connected to skin health. It's specific to basically everything related to attention and focus and supporting healthy focus and also just healthy vision and healthy skin because, again, they make up critical components of your cells. EPA and DHA are literally used in every single cell in your body. And without them, then you don't traffic nutrients as well. You don't eliminate toxins as easily. And your total body systems will start to slide into a negative spiral. Which a lot of people are reporting. A lot of people don't feel well. They're not thriving. They're having a number of symptoms, side effects, detoxification issues. And the DHA, we hear a lot about that, especially in the more functional, holistic world with children, children's brain, fetus brain development, neurodevelopment in general, everything from cognition to attention and focus and whatnot. And I feel finally, maybe conventional medicine is picking up on that a little bit more and recommending more DHA as a result. If you're listening to this and you are thinking of becoming pregnant, have young children, it's something to consider. I want to talk for a moment specifically about this because it's something I'm super passionate about too. The reality is when you have something like half of your fat in your brain and eyes is made up of DHA, it becomes really apparent that there needs to be enough of this in your system. And what we don't talk about when we talk about women's health in particular enough is the need for DHA during childbearing years. Whether or not you intend to become pregnant it's still a very good idea to get enough DHA into your system every single day. We've been able to extract DHA from algae for a long time. EPA is more recent history, and that's something we've been able to perfect at Orlo Nutrition. But really, when you think about these two fats, they tend to exist together in nature because of the fact that fish consume algae strains that produce EPA and algae strains that produce DHA, and then they bioaccumulate it. But one of the challenges that we see in our reproductive years is that even your doctor will say, oh, well, if you're looking to become pregnant or you're pregnant, you want to limit consumption of these larger bodied fish because of mercury. They are more worried about those toxins and the potential damage to fetal brain development. You're getting mixed messages. You're being told you need to consume more omega-3, but you also need to be wary of fish. There's a good reason for that. Fish bioaccumulate toxins along with the omega-3s, EPA, and DHA. There's a perfectly safe and viable option, and that is algae oils and algae-based omega-3 supplementation. Now, you should be consuming your omega-3 supplement. That's your DHA, your EPA. You should be consuming that if you're planning to become pregnant at least three months before. And the reason for that is that your body takes time to build up your stores. 
This is part of why we're running the Tested by You campaign the way we are, giving you a baseline test and then another test four months later, because it takes you time to ramp up your levels of omega-3s. Another thing that we need to think about is that women, when they are pregnant, often suffer from that first three months, a lot of nausea. I personally had low-grade nausea for 15 weeks, the first 15 weeks, from about six weeks to 15 weeks. And it would just meant that if I didn't have, let's say, a few almonds in my system pretty constantly, I was just low-grade nausea constant. I had a hard time taking any supplements during that period. I was operating on the supplementation regimen I had the first six weeks of my pregnancy and earlier than that. If I'm starting from a healthy space, great. I've got enough of these supportive omegas in my system. Now, I could go without taking it for a couple months and not dramatically negatively impact my health. Then I could start taking it again through that second and third trimester. That's absolutely critical. Getting enough omega-3 is positively associated with better birth weights, fuller term pregnancies, and better overall maternal health. Those three things are critically important for you and for your baby. After we give birth, we're often told, and I was even told this by my midwife, oh, well, you can stop taking your DHA supplement now. That was a dumb thing to recommend. I can fully go back to that particular midwife who's since become a friend and educate her on all the reasons why, because the reality is that when you're breastfeeding, you also need to have enough DHA in your system. And there's some evidence now that, especially these repeated pregnancies when we decide to have two or three kids relatively close proximity, that our stores and vital nutrients in our systems, including our omega-3s, really drop. We need to be more really militant about continuing to take a DHA supplement throughout our childbearing years. I say whether or not you intend to become pregnant for many reasons. It also can impact things like dysmenorrhea. If you have painful periods, You could be having painful periods in part because you don't get enough magnesium, in part because you don't have enough omega-3s, in part because you're not consuming enough iron. All of these things can actually impact your sensitivity to pain, your inflammation, the ability of your smooth muscles to relax. We need to think about these things, think about supplying ourselves with the right balance of nutrition so that we can feel our best. And so that we can produce ATP energy. DHA and EPA are actually vital in that story of actually helping to create cellular energy. Without great cellular energy, our mitochondria aren't working that well. And that means that we're more likely to feel fatigue. There's just so many ways that it connects to health. I just can't say it enough. I just want to go back to the sentence you said earlier is that this is in, these are in every single cell in the whole body. Every single cell from the tips, top of your head to the tips of your fingers to the tips of your toes and every organ and gland in between there, every single cell requires them. And your mitochondria too, which are the powerhouse of your cell. It's like the mitochondria, what do they say about it? It's like the internal cellular bacteria. It actually looks like a bacteria. We're not only human cells. We have how many billions or trillions of cells that are made up of bacteria in our bodies as well. And just to function optimally, we need these fats. They aren't in our diet anymore. They just aren't. They are not. And you're right. A lot of people don't eat fish. They just don't eat seafood in general, whether they weren't raised on it or they just realized the quality is declined so much. I was in, in, in the Minneapolis airport recently flying through and a man came and sat down next to me and he said, what did you eat? And I told him and he said, well, I was thinking about getting the salmon. And I said, I would never. And he goes, why? I said, well, I live in the Pacific Northwest. 
I don't eat fish in the middle of the country. <laughs> now, I know there can be farm salmon where I am as well. However, it's just interesting. And he goes, oh my gosh, I'm a chef. I've never thought of that before. He said, I think about the quality of my fish for that day, but I don't think where it came from, where I got it. And maybe when you're in the center of the country, you may not be getting the best quality. It's probably farmed. We had this whole interesting conversation around fish. And I think a lot of people maybe don't realize that. Of course, nobody was taught that in school and it can be a hard one to swallow. Like, oh, right. And in fact, another, I was at a conference in Las Vegas and I was talking to a nurse who does IVs. If you are dehydrated, hungover, et cetera, she'll come to your hotel room and do IVs. I said, what's your number one IV? And she said, it's food poisoning from fish, from seafood. And I said, oh my gosh, I would not have thought of that. And she said, yeah, don't eat seafood in the desert. I tell everybody when I go to desert states, I said, don't eat seafood in the desert. <laughs> First of all, it's probably not qualities, probably farms. And second of all, I don't want to be on the other end of that nurse's IV. And in today's world, you can physically see the decline in the fish. Like you used to be able to go to a meat counter and see some beautiful fresh fish just there, even in the middle of the country because it's ship frozen. Everything is ship frozen. But of late, not so much. The fish, which used to have a healthy pink color, is now almost grayish. They actually add colorant to most salmon steaks. It's incredibly rare that you find wild salmon anywhere anymore. And we're actually seeing decline in wild salmon populations, even in the Pacific Northwest, but largely because of dams. You don't think about that connection, but we have these hydroelectric dams all over the Pacific Northwest. They have essentially stopped the salmon from being able to get to their initial spawning grounds. You then even have a decline in the health of the orca, that rely on salmon for their food source because there aren't as many fish in the sea. It's one of these problems or these cascading problems to say the negative side of other things is we look to develop green energy solutions and we don't necessarily always see the repercussions of that until after implementation. There's actually advocacy now. Stephen Hawley, who I interviewed on one of my podcasts, he's the author of a book put out there by Patagonia Press called Cracked, which is all about the crumbling infrastructure of dams in the Pacific Northwest, yeah, advocating for their dismantling in particular because they actually have a surplus of green energy in those areas now. They don't need to be operating all of those particular dams, and the dams have closed down some of the pathways for salmon to get inland enough to bring the nutrition into sea, to spawn in the correct areas, to develop healthy stocks for future years, and to support the orca populations of the Pacific Northwest as a result, too. It's a very complicated story, but basically, we've tinkered a lot with our food systems, and perhaps more than we should. We need to get back to really eating a more whole foods diet that is rich in plants and where meats can be looked at as more of a condiment. I'm not necessarily advocating that people say goodbye to consuming fish. Fish is still a very healthy food if you can get a very good quality fish. Know your sources and understand that most fish populations around the globe are overfished and our seas are overtaxed. We need other solutions. Which makes it really sad and unfortunate, and which is my next question. The solution is when we supplement 
what do we look for in a quality supplement? Because there are a lot of options out there at big box stores. I would have patients that would bring me in their 400 capsule gel cap to say, this is the oil I take. And you would just unscrew the cap and you could smell rancid fish. And I said, you could throw the whole thing out. Let me educate you. Please tell us, how do we read a label? What are we looking for? Is there a ratio? What about the extra added stuff they put in there sometimes? Make us smarter. <laughs> I would just say don't go to a drugstore or a big box store to buy your omegas. Like just full stop. Don't bother. You know, if you're getting Costco brand, I happen to know too much about their sources. I'm not going to go into that. But when you're paying dollars on the kilogram of oil, you can produce a truckload of soft gels for that. You really just, you want to say no. Okay. This is one area I would not skimp on. You can expect to pay about a dollar a day for a quality omega-3 supplement. If you're not paying that, then you're essentially taking something that's inferior. And that's just because of what it costs to build a healthy product. Now, there's almost a price threshold. You go below that and there's some compromises being made in sustainability, freshness, purity. Those three things I think are pretty important. The other thing is you're looking specifically for EPA and DHA and fewer ingredients is better. Some of these products will actually have, let's just take krill oil, for example. Almost all of the krill oil, which I compete with because they are polar lipids, they actually have a more bioavailable omega-3 in them. It's actually just a dusting of krill oil these days and the rest is fish oil. All of those labels, they contain krill oil and fish oil. And it's very rare that you find something that's exclusively krill oil at this point. That's just one thing to note. If you're looking for something that is going to be more bioavailable, better absorbed, phospholipids, polar lipids are better. And that's what we produce at Orlo Nutrition exclusively from algae. There's no krill oil in it. And we're able to retain the polar lipid structure because our processing is so minimal. This has everything to do with how we're growing the algae itself. It's a closed system. We don't worry about pollutants. We don't have to worry about using things like pesticides because it's a closed system. We're only using green energy. So it's eco-friendly and even demonstrated to be carbon negative, carbon neutral. And we're delivering them in beautiful glass bottles. Packaging is another area that I want to mention just for people because almost every supplement out there that you would find on Amazon is just in a standard white PET bottle. And those bottles, they say recyclable, but many recyclers are now choosing to not recycle them anymore. If you want to be mindful of packaging, you also know that plastics do off-gas a little bit. Some of that can get into a food product that you're consuming. Glass is best. If you can find something in glass, then that's great. We actually ship in a resealable pouch and then you put it into your glass bottle. This is a violet glass bottle. This is reusable and then it's beautiful. You can leave it on your bathroom counter. It's almost black. There's no light oxidation that happens through it. It preserves the product longer. I think that's something that's critical. You will find some other brands of fish oils and algae oils out there that are making the choice to package in glass. It's a more expensive route to go. You're going to have to pay a little bit of a premium for that. We try to get by that by also making sure it's reusable. There's different methods to get there. You're looking for north of 200 milligrams of EPA and DHA a day. Most people need between 250 to 1,000 milligrams a day of a standard fish oil. Ours are more bioavailable. You don't need quite as much, and we can document that up to three times more absorbable than fish oil. 
Ours deliver between 250 and 350 milligrams of EPA and DHA in a single daily serving, small soft gels, easy to take, and comparable to something that's three times the potency. Which is important. Oftentimes, blanketly, people are told 1,000 milligrams, maybe more if you have heart issues or diabetes. And they think they just mean one pill, but that's not actually what they mean. They tend to mean, and when they're saying 1,000 milligrams, they tend to mean 1,000 milligrams of EPA and DHA, but that's not even the global recommendations. The GOED, who is the Global Organization for EPA and DHA, they recommend 500 milligrams a day of EPA and DHA. Now, they're basing that off of a standard triglyceride form or ethyl ester form fish oil. You could cut that number in a third if you're talking about a polar lipid like ours. But generally speaking, aiming for anywhere between 250 milligrams to 1,000 milligrams of EPA and DHA a day is going to be health supportive and safe for everyday use. Now, it's really hard to get too much. So if you were to consume more than that, who cares? <laughs> more Anya, more good. I actually spent a little bit of time consuming too much. I know what that's like. And for me, the effect is almost similar to when I have too much caffeine. That's interesting. Yeah, not like I'm jittery. But if I actually consume too much caffeine, I've gotten there because I used to work at a coffee shop. You just down those shots and you're absorbing the oils through your skin because you're making espresso drinks and all that stuff. Get a little bit jittery, but then it's past the jitters to this, I don't even know what to call it. It's like <laughs> waxy. I feel like I'm on the other side of a glass and the world is happening outside of my purview or something. Just not really alert anymore. I've just had too much. And that's how I felt when I had too much omega-3. The other thing I noticed is that what, if I cut myself shaving, it would take a really long time to stop bleeding. And that's not because it does anything to thin your blood. It doesn't work that way. But your platelets become more slippery. They don't clot as well if you consume a lot of omega-3. And I'm talking, I was probably taking 10 or 15 grams of EPA and DHA a day. That's significant. You weren't messing around. 10 to 15,000 milligrams. If you're looking at milligrams on a label, 15 times more than you would generally see someone taken. Somebody has to do it. So when you own an omega-3 company, might as well be the guinea pig. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Don't take way too much. But a standard daily supplement level of any omega-3 out there is not going to do that. No, and I have to ask this question, even though you're from an algae source, as we know, a lot of people don't like fish oil because what do they get? The fishy burps afterwards. They think that's gross and they stop taking them. Is there a difference with taking the small gel caps for algae? Most algae supplements will have a slight odor of fish to them anyway, because it's actually the DHA that tends to smell that way, and especially as it oxidizes. However, ours don't do that. And the reason is that they're in the polar lipid form. Polar lipids are more bioavailable. They essentially are more bioavailable because of the fact that they're naturally emulsified. They are in the form that your body actually absorbs and uses EPA and DHA. And because they're in this polar lipid form, they essentially get assimilated into your gastric juices instead of sitting on top. A triglyceride form oil, you know how this old adage like oil and water don't mix? Yeah, of course. If you squirt some standard triglyceride oil into a glass of water, that oil is going to sit on top. It does the same thing when you consume it as a soft gel in your stomach juices. It basically sits on top and it creates what's called aldehyde byproducts while it's being digested. That's the burp. The same thing could be true also of most algae oils. You might get a little bit of that aldehyde byproduct or because it's in the triglyceride or ethyl ester form. 
But when it's in this polylipid form, the magic is that doesn't happen. It gets integrated into your gastric juices. It doesn't sit on top of your juices and form that aldehyde byproduct over. I know people listening just had a major aha moment because the fish burps are common and unfortunate and stops a lot from taking the omega-3s that they need. Now, if you already have some at home and you don't want to throw it away and it's an otherwise good brand, you trust it's about a dollar a day to consume it, I would just say go ahead and if you're having those fishy burps, even Nordic Naturals, like we used to say, okay, we flavor it. If they had a burp, it would be like lemon or peach or whatever, not as negative as fish, but a lot of people would still complain of that. The way around it is stick them in your freezer. If they're frozen, they're less likely to do that because they're going to start to become digested before they completely thaw out. But you're not going to get that aldehyde byproduct the same way. I think it was actually my Nordic natural rep back in the day who taught me that trick as well. <laughs> yeah. When I was back when I was in practice. I collaborate in some cases with Dr. Sean Tassone. He has a podcast called Confessions of a Male Gynecologist, which is delightful and very education-based. If you're out there looking for another podcast, you should check it out. He says that he likes to have people freeze them if they're taking a fish oil, but he also didn't have to do that with our product. Just thinking about this from a daily perspective, it can be a smaller pill. You don't have to worry about what time of day you take it. Unlike fish oils, I can take my algae-based omega-3 from Orlo Nutrition with a hot cup of coffee in the morning, and I don't get any fishy burps. I can take it day or night with or without food, and I'm going to have the same absorption. I can also leave it on my bathroom counter and remember to take it. It's just fine. It doesn't have to go in the freezer. Oh my gosh, that's amazing because that is also a common question. Should I take it with food? Should I take it with fat? Should I take it in the morning? When does it matter? And to have an unfussy, non-high-maintenance oil option, thank goodness. That's a good way to put it. It's the unfussy. You're welcome to use it. As we wrap up, this is the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. Where can people find you? Because when it comes to the root cause of omega-3s, inflammation, reproductive health, hormones, cellular health, mitochondria, this is just a knock it out of the park winner. I want people to be able to go, I need to follow you more, listen to your podcast, find this product, give us all the details. OrloNutrition.com is the website. You can find us at OrloNutrition on all social platforms. And that's simply O-R-L-O Nutrition. We host a podcast also called Nutrition Without Compromise that is available wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on summer break until late August, but produce weekly episodes interviewing doctors, medical professionals, and even just doing monologue episodes in which I'll cover a specific category of health or health news that's important for our audience. That's a resource for people. They can actually learn from people like Dr. Bill Harris, who was the founder of Omega Quant. Yeah. The Omega-3 index. He helped to develop that. He gives his geeky explanations of what people should consider consuming on the daily when it comes to omega-3s as well. We really just try to be a resource for people and operate from that perspective as well. You can also find Orlo Nutrition products on Amazon. We're actually working to become completely fulfilled by Amazon as well. But if people are interested in the Tested by You campaign, the only way to do that is to come directly to OrloNutrition.com. And then they can qualify to get two free omega-3 index tests with their subscription after the first and fourth month of taking the product. You take it first at baseline and then after four months. I think the fact that you can test your omegas in your tissue is so important. And a lot of people don't realize because it's never talked about in conventional medicine. Never. I know. It's sad. Ever. 
Now, what about practitioners? The practitioners are listening, which we have quite a fair number, and they're interested in switching their patients and clients to Orla Nutrition. Just go ahead and contact the company directly. We have a couple of practitioners that we're presently working through. It's not our primary avenue yet, but we are working through an apothecary in the Pacific Northwest that has skin clinicians on hand, estheticians and things along those lines, another chiropractor's office, a medical office or two. They can reach out to us directly and I can support their needs in that arena as well. We've even explored drop shipping and just giving them coupon codes or setting them up with a share a sale account so they get commissions on the referrals, all as ways to connect with us and to ensure that their patients can buy the product with ease. We're just really flexible. We want to be able to be a resource for people from both an education standpoint and from a product standpoint. I love it. That's amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I think it was really educational and eye-opening around all things omega-3s because there's just so much misinformation out there. And a lot of people just don't realize how critical they are in every cell, mitochondria in our body. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I would like to give your audience a simple coupon to be able to use. Please. Yes. We can just say root cause. Why don't we just do that? Because the (laughs) root cause of so many of these health concerns is not getting the right nutrition. Amazing. If you go to orlonutrition.com and enter in the coupon code root cause, you will get a discount? A bonus discount, yeah. A bonus discount. Amazing. That'll make it similar to what we offer on our site, but it's just a way for people to give a nod to where they heard about us and also get the best possible price on the Tested by You program. That's fantastic. Again, I just really appreciate your time all the history you have with this, all the research you know about it. It's just really incredible. So thank you. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask before you go. If you love today's conversation, would you mind leaving us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now? My whole goal is education. So positive reviews are actually the number one thing that help new people discover the show. You're amazing. I so appreciate it. And I'll catch you on the next episode.